Buddy and welcome to episode 6 of the Made in Scotland 80s podcast. My name's Dougie and thank you very much for tuning in. This episode we are talking to the wonderful Jim McCulloch of so many bands. So BMX Bandits, The Soup Dragons, Superstar, Green Peppers. Oh, Jim's career is just it's mind blowing. He's been in so many incarnations through these through these years and producing and performing some fantastic tunes like the three that we heard in the intro there. So just great, just wonderful stuff. So I really hope you enjoy this. It's going to be over two parts because we've got so much to talk about. And Jim's such a great guy, and ah, it was it was absolutely brilliant for me to do this. Uh, so if you sit back. We'll kick off right at the very start when Jim's about. 15, 16, and busking in Glasgow. And it t- this episode takes us right the way through from Jim being a teenager right up to Green Pepper days. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, leave your comments, feedback, whatever you want to say, uh, and just en- enjoy. Thank you very much, and I'll catch up with you at the end. Cheers. Thank you. Jim, thank you very much for joining us on the Made in Scotland H podcast. Uh, really pleased that you're here and to talk about your career and stuff. So thank you very much. No, thanks for asking me, Dougie. It's a pleasure. Super, super. Um, so if we could start right at the very start, Jim, when you know when you started busking in the mid-80s or something like that. Yeah. You were head, heading into the Glasgow and doing a bit of busking. How did uh, how did that go for you? How what was your influences then? What kind of stuff was it you were? That's uh, well, we were if you put try to put an age on it, we were like 16, 17. Um, myself and some of the guys, uh, like well, all of us, uh, me and uh, guy Joe McAlinden, and there was another couple of guys, Jimmy Gallagher, Jerry Greer, and Willie McCarty. We were all at school together, we all played in the school concert band. Yep. Um, I played the clarinet at that, and they played, they were saxophone players, but I played a bit of guitar as well. So we kind of just we drew out like material that we, we played at, at, at school and we, we tried to convert it into a, a, a four piece for, for the streets, of, the main streets of Glasgow, you know. Right. So we were, we were playing stuff like uh, Glenn Miller uh, selections. We were playing like the, the Gulf of Ipanema. We were, we were playing like 
uh, tequila by the champs and then right. and just sort of just a mixture of stuff you know really really easy stuff really straightforward stuff but it's st stuff that we knew would get you know the, the 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 shoppers get their attention and hopefully get a couple of pennies off them as well And that just, we did that for about a, over a year and that it kind of just developed. It made you a bit, you know, tougher, you know, about your playing, you know, your, get your chops up, you know, and be able to handle uh, people who are maybe not so right. um, happy to hear what you were playing, you know, but it, it did toughen you up. But it was a great, it was a great learning curve. Uh, and you, you were just, what, teenagers then? I, we were, we were like 16, 17, as I say, you know, just maybe hitting 18. At, so. Aye. And is that... I think the back of the day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Takes a lot, of, a lot of guts to go and do it that. Does. I suppose if you've got yeah. a group of pals with you as well. It's you definitely got, that. You know, you can bounce off. It must be incredible for one person who had to stand there and have oh, to right. expose herself like that. But Yeah, so, I mean, so... they watched. I mean, we did go around checking out other people and how they'd done it and what they did, their techniques. You know, but it's a single guy in the guitars. They, they were the ones that you were most in admiration of, I think. Ah, right. It'd be a busy place as well at that time, you know, the mid-80s, everywhere yeah. you went in Scotland, there was always that great vibe of music at then. Was that where you yeah. bumped into the guys from Bells Hill, which eventually became the Soup Dragons? Were they busking at the same time? Yeah, they, they were, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We got on the train at Motherwell Station, they got on the train at Bells Hill Station. And it's, right. as, it's as simple as that, you know, and you, you see other, other guys with guitars, you think, obviously before social media and all the rest of it. Uh -huh. You're sort of clocking people and you say, oh, they're, they're kind of dressed like us, they're, they're carrying guitars, and you know, so bit by bit, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd come closer together, you'd meet at the, you know, the central station on the way home and you'd start talking and that's when the magic began, I guess, you know. Yeah, I put all these styles, so that, that was pretty much the birth of the Soup Dragons then? Well, so much the, the Soup Dragons, but just that whole bunch of people coming together for the first mm. time, and then eventually, it, you know, it would become... The Soup Dragons, you know, um, we just sort of found, you know, just bouncing off each other. They're, they're what they were listening to and what we were listening to were different, but mm -hmm. they, they were, there was connections and we were making the connections and we hadn't really, hadn't really heard like, um, like Psycho Killer by Talking Heads and they hadn't really heard it in the mood by Glenn Miller, you know, and, right. and <laughs> so there was room, that's the thing, I think it was the BMX Bandits first because there was room for all these different influences there was right. no barriers you know that was the beauty of it all mm. and then we all you know mm. that's that's when it all kicked off uh, because I, I wasn't sure what came first because they, they kind of both emerged at the same or both formed at the yeah. same time but as you said there it was a, a big group of guys that were bouncing ideas off each other yeah. um and, and it was just a melting pot of talent and then you just kind of 
went off in your different directions yeah. to form each group. I, I mean, I would, yeah. I would, yeah, I would say it was the, band, the BMX Bandits first because we did, we, we were in Bells Hill and Mother before we went into Glasgow and then it was Glasgow when, you know, other, other people came into the circle, you know, from there. Right. So with the, with the Bandits, Jim, did the release of the first single, was that E-102?
And then they just, just jump into the Soup Dragons. They just kind of move from the bandits to Soup Dragons and just keep going back and forward. With it the... was a bit like that. There was, there was, I mean, when we used to do it, you know, used to rehearse. We were rehearsing in like places like Norman's Grand's house or front room, you know. <laughs> right. but, but seriously, and it would be like, right, this is a BMX Bandits rehearsal. So somebody would put down an instrument and pick up another one, and then it kind of everybody would rotate, you know. And, yep. and it was. It was Really, I mean, you don't think about these things at the time, but you know, you're only 18, 17, 18, and that's that's just how it was. It was just playing it being in bands, basically, you know. Uh, and all you wanted to do was play music and Aye. start to write your own kind of stuff and things like that. Yeah, and just having that freedom, like there's no barriers. They're going to. It wasn't like this is before like the phrase indie wasn't you know invented. So that was a wee, That's the thing because we were just sort of making it up as we were going along. It was more punk, I would say, than, than indie, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> well, usually the mid eighties, we were kind of getting a wee bit of hangover for the punk then, weren't we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so we'll do it, do it yourself, DIY. Aspect of it. That's the thing. Yeah. If I go to the, the Soup Dragons, see, even they started to bring albums out. So we got like the first album being Hang Ten. Was that? Yeah. Was that right. Um, how did that process come about, and how quickly did that kind of shoot ahead for you? Well, it was. I mean, the Soup Dragons, we kind of hit, hit the ground running um, with our first single. I mean, that album, Hang Ten, was more of a, it was like a compilation album of yep. like a few singles. So these singles had already been out, but this, we'd, we'd, a couple of years down the line, we signed with Sire Records. Yep. And this was a compilation that they put out for like the American audience and for the European audience, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but as, as an album, it was just like a compilation, you know, but the, the actual singles themselves, um, the first one sort of grew out of us doing a demo, of, you know, in Glasgow, and then somebody hearing a track off the demo, and we put out a flexi disc. Yeah. And um, we one track on it, and that became single of the week in the NME.
that that kind of kick started a lot, you know, especially with the Glasgow scene. People in London would start to take notice of this band, Flexi Disc. You don't, that doesn't happen. Well, you know, it happened. It happened to us. Aye. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so these are these are the wee, the wee um, things that happen to you. You got to really take advantage of, you know. Mm -hmm. That's kind of that. We just hold hold on with both hands and see where it and and, <laughs> and just uh, hold on for life and see where it takes you. <laughs> exactly, we're, we're just at that age, you know. We're, we were young and we had no real responsibilities. We just wanted to play music, and that was it, you know. Great, great. Do you do you have any standout tracks for your early years that you? You would still kind of perform now in any kind of your live shows. Um, well, I, I don't. I don't really play any Soup Dragon stuff when I play live. But um, I loved at the time. I loved playing them. You know, I mean, especially those those early shows. Uh, a lot of the songs were kind of very basic, um, like in the style of like the, maybe the undertones or the Ramones. It was very quick. You know, short and sh sharp. You know, and, and two minute long songs. And sometimes it's pretty hard to try and remember. You know, how does this one go? How does that one go? Because it was just like playing bar chords right. a million miles an hour, you know, and it wasn't very subtle, but you know, and uh, Ross, our original drummer, he hadn't played the drums before he joined the band. So it was all very uh, basic and you know, primal sounding, you know, and it, and it we just sort of grew out of that. But that was the really exciting time because we didn't really know, you know, more than that. You know, this is this is what we did, this is what you do. You plug in and you play, and that's your sound. <laughs> There was, there was no great master plan at all. No. <laughs> well, it must have been some sort of plan because he's ended up playing Madison Square Garden and support. Well, yeah, once, <laughs> fair enough. Once, once we got a, a management team on board, then there was a plan, you know. But that was, <laughs> that was like um, after they saw us, um, a video of ours, uh, the first single one called Whole Wide World that was on the programme called The Chart Show. That was, you know, it was very visual, very exciting looking, and um, we went down to London, played a few shows, and we met up with him, and I thought, well, why not? You know, this is a this is a guy that used to manage Wham, Jazz Summers, yeah, his, yeah. his management company. So, 
thought, well, it's, it can't be, it's not going to be rubbish, you know, it's going to be exciting, you know, <laughs> and, and it was, everything about it was, was, it was like a different world to us, you know, you know, there were plans, there was budgets, and all of a sudden, we were making videos, we were going on tour, and, you know, that was, this is what real bands do, you know, yeah. and, and that's basically how, by by increment, that's what, that's how it be, yeah. became a real band, ended yeah. up at Madison yeah. Square Garden. Aye, I watched some footage today, because um, we're on the Letterman show, uh -huh. I, was, I was like, on the Letterman show, it was like the biggest show in, in, in America at the time.
must need some experience to play Madison Square Garden and support an excess. Yeah. That, was it the three month you kind of had there? Yeah, we did. We went over Amer- through America with them, and it was only originally planned for six weeks, but they they got on with us pretty well, and they thought they wanted to keep us on the tour. So we thought that's fine with us, you know. <laughs> You know, let's let's play some more in normal domes, please. You know, <laughs> and it just it was great. You know.
on the outside looking in. We were desperate to break out of Motherwell and Bells Hill and get into Glasgow. Just that was enough at that point to get a support act, to play a support shot at maybe Night Moves and in, in right. Hall Street. You know? right. But that was that was the be-all and end-all. But then, obviously, as your horizons get broader, your aspirations get higher, you know, and they said, well, if I did that, I can do this. And if you do that, you can blah, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're on stage. Madison Square Gardens, you know, yeah. and it's like, how did this happen again? Remind me. So, yeah. I, the confidence of, of youth, isn't it? We can it's that's just blind ignorance that drives it, you know. And, I read somewhere that absolutely. you arrived at Madison Square Garden with your cat and a carrier bag. Was that That's true? right, it totally did, yeah. I just there's, there's no other way to say it. I did. Um, it was just a spare T-shirt, you know, it wasn't even anything else. All right. This is going to be quite, quite sweaty, this, I think. So <laughs> I better take a T-shirt, so I just flung it in a bag and then off we went. Aye. Absolutely no idea, you know, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just, you're riding the wave, Jim, that was that? And you're totally leaving, was, yeah. Hold, totally holding was. on for dear life and just going, yeah. this will take me wherever I go. Exactly. <laughs> the 22 year olds, what are you going to do, you know? Don't be afraid of your freedom! Don't be afraid of 
mean, that, that uh, span, that kind of journey of your life, was it 10 years, the, the Soup Dragons? Well, I wasn't, I don't even think it was as many years as that. I mean, 1985 to about 1992. So it's, that's right. about this. But I mean, but myself and Paul Quinn and Cecil did, we left the band and Sean carried on for another album. So that would have made the, the life, the, you know, the Soup Dragons itself a bit longer. But but certainly it was it was like a million miles an hour. It was a great aye, great journey. That was an apprenticeship, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and your feet weren't attached to the ground, not a chance. Not at all, not at all. <laughs> no. So when you when you left the Soup Dragons, was that when you went to Superstar? Or yeah, pretty yeah, pretty much. I mean, once when I left the band, we we sort of wondered, you know, we, we were wanting to do our own things and. Just get to that age, you know, we were like early twenties, and you know, want to make our own music and stuff. And but then my Joe, going back to Joe, um, from when we were at school, and he was my uh, one of my best friends at school, and mm -hmm. he said, "Well, why don't you, you we play with Superstar for a while, you know, and join the band?" I all. I'm a, a bit of a loose end here, so yeah, why not? You know, so I decided to hook up with Joe for a couple of years, and we made some uh, great records there as well. Aye, aye. There is some good stuff on the superstar. Eh, that kind of that part of your career or some cracking yeah, songs yeah. in there. Yeah, it's just it seems I think it seems a wee bit a shame that there's not made the a wee bit overlooked, you know, because there's a lot of really good material there, you know, and and it'd be a shame for it, you know, not to be heard because it's it really is good stuff.
you think there's any plans of bringing things like that back out? I'm not sure. I mean, it depends. I mean, if you're trying to do it to make to actually make money, then you need to make sure that the the, the demand is there for it. So you would need to get back to that thing about planning and advertising, you know, and build up a an, an interest in it all, you know. But I mean, I know it's all kind of available on this, you know, this digital streaming. Yeah. You can you can go you can go into you know the usual places and find find all that music if you want to, you know. But it's just about, I mean, if like somebody like if I've if I've played in so many different bands, it's like bringing it all together so that people can hear it, you know, if they want to listen to what I've done since 1985, then that's a different story. You'd, you'd need to do a bit of detective work, I think. <laughs> that'd be some list that uh, that'd be some, some set list you would need to have, wouldn't it? I mean, that's a that's a, a long weekend, I think that one, you know. Uh, you're you're playing a Springsteen set of four hours if you're trying to cover. <laughs> Bars of your career. <laughs> exactly.
mean, the superstar. I think the album was eighteen carat, wasn't it? That was a kind of yeah. Was, that was that was the first one um, that I, you know I played on officially, and and then there was another couple, two albums after that was um, Palm Tree and yeah. that that. Um, yeah, and we recorded them over in in Dublin, and it was just fantastic. You know, it was all live. We all recorded it all live. You know, and that's something I've really. I've tried to, you know, I've tried try to do everything that I get involved in, you know, is play live and record live and try and capture the moment kind of yeah. thing, you know. And that was certainly, that was certainly a great time for that because we, we just, it was a great band of musicians and great songs and great singers. So. Strike is the type of guy that, or the type of artist that there's nothing off the table for you. I mean, you, if there's an opportunity there, you're like, I'm going to jump in with both feet, yeah. see where it goes. 
Yeah. And that's probably been your ethos all through your, your days, isn't it? You know, when you've... Yeah, it's it's kind of very much um, going by, you know, gut instinct, you know, and, you know, this, this if, it's, if it's, it's, it's just learning over the years, it's just learning to, you know, trust your instincts and the whole thing and not so much worry about what other people think. You make your decisions for yourself, you know, and, and then if you keep doing that, then you'll, you'll, you'll get somewhere, you know, you'll do things you'll be, and you'll be proud of them and, and as long as you, as a musician or as a, an artist or whatever, they're honest decisions, then you, you can you can stand by them, you know. And, and, well, I mean, I did my best. That's all you can do. You know? Aye, that's it. You're, you're being true to yourself and saying, right, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to head down that road. I'm going to produce some wonderful tunes as I'm going to know along that road with the guys that I'm working with. Yeah. And then if there's something else comes up, another opportunity comes up, I'll head that way. I'll, I'll no, go. that's it. I mean, it's quite, I mean, when the... Stuff I did with um, Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan, that came out of um, a Green Peppers yep. project and my solo stuff. And then the Snow Goose also came out of the Green Peppers stuff as well. So everything is kind of connected uh-huh. and the, there are links, you know, tying them all together and stuff. So, yeah, I'm quite, I'm very happy with the way it's, it's went, you know. Super. Because Snow Goose, uh, sorry, Green Peppers was after Superstar. It was. That was a couple of good couple of years after. Um, Did you take a break? After, yeah, year? pretty much. You know, I, I took a break. Um, I met Marie, my wife, and we got married and started a family. You know, that sort of that kind of thing. And the music kind of took a back seat to a certain extent, which I was quite happy with. You know, but then I got the the VH back again. You know, um, I went. I started recording home demos and stuff, and then it, that that kind of gradually. All coalesced into the first Green Peppers album. So, yeah, just from just having that, taking that time to, you know, not, I didn't really want to be so much um, playing other folks' music anymore. I wanted to do my own thing, kind of thing. So, so yeah. was Green Peppers your kind of first solo project then? And yeah, in a sense, it was. Yeah. Um, it was just a collection of songs that I'd kind of written and recorded in the house. And, and I just got money together and went up to, it was a really good studio. East Kilbride Arts Centre. Um, yeah. It was it was run at the time by Davy Scott, you know, of, of the Pearl Fishers fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and went in there and, and, and just quietly over a couple of months recorded a, an album of tracks, you know, and, and that hey presto there there's an album, you know. Yeah. 
yeah, it was great. No pressure. It was just me finding my, my own voice kind of thing. So, yeah. And as you say, you're kind of you're following your gut instinct and saying, right, well, I've got these songs. I'm just going to chip away. I'm going to record when, you know, when I'm up at East Kilbride at the Art Centre. And as you say, yeah. there's, no, there's no pressure there. It's just you're letting the juices, you're the creative juices just flow and see what's coming out the other end. So, yeah, so. is it really? It's a good process because you just say you're not under pressure. You're not got a record company breathing down your neck, mm. management pressures or anything like that. You're just kind of, it's all about the music and it's all about what you produce yeah. at the end of it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it totally is. And all those, those distractions are, at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's just a different, it's a different level, a different scale, but, you know, it's still, the songs are just what's important. And yep. that was me finding, making my first steps into, you know, doing solo stuff. Uh-huh. And did you enjoy that more? Or was it a kind of different beast then, to going for solo stuff to band yeah. stuff? Both had their... their, their um, yeah, the pros and yeah, pros and cons, you know. But uh, in the band thing, it was more of a gang, you know, and it was like maybe four voices trying to be heard. But if, if, if I'm in, if I'm in the driving seat, then it's everything. There's all these decisions are kind of mine. I can say to somebody, "Do what you want, play what you like," or can you try this specific yeah. thing, you know? So it, it was really there wasn't any worry about somebody turn around and saying, "No, I'm not. I'm going to do what I want to do." So that uh, that's that just that's not going to happen when you're doing your a solo album, you know, whatever. Mm. So these these are different, yeah, different different pros, different cons. Well, folks, that's where we're going to have to leave part one with Jim. I loved that. It was great. It was so fascinating to hear about Jim's journey and being such a young guy, you know, from 17, 18, right up to playing with excess and then further on into Green Peppers and Superstar. It was brilliant. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as me. And part two is in the making and, and it's all about Jim's solo career. So it's Snow Goose and his work with, with Anna and Snow Goose and all the different collaborations that he's had. And then Jim's brand new material, which is which is really exciting to hear and it's out now. So you can get it for Christmas. It's, it's a wonderful record. Um, but we're going to finish off this part of the interview with Jim with a track from Superstar, self-titled Superstar. It's a beautiful song, so I hope you enjoy it. And episode, or part two, sorry, of Jim McCulloch will be out really soon. And it's it's great. It's a wonderful listen. So please leave your comments and I'll catch up with you in the next part. This is Superstar and Superstar.